Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Ilona Thompson, Palate Exposure. I'm here at Donna Estates. Actually, the most correct pronunciation is Dana, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. And Vasa Sellers, I'm here with Chris Cooney, Director of Winemaking. Uh, we're tasting three wines, um, two 2016 vintages and one 2015, very exciting. So we'll be doing that throughout the conversation, kind of folding the wines into the fabric of our discussion. Thank you very much for hosting me. This has been really an eye-opening experience. Um, this is a very special place and a very intentional one. So I can't wait to find out about your work place, but first we'll start with a little bit about you and your background and how you came to be the director of winemaking. So tell us a little bit about Chris. Um, so I grew up in California in the South Bay mm -hmm. uh, of south of San Francisco. And, you know, growing up, um, my mother is from Germany mm -hmm. and both my mother and father really, you know, food and family meals was really a big part of growing up mm -hmm. and that wine was a part of that that was just sort of seemed to be like you know there was never a dinner without at least a glass of wine uh, cool. and something that my my dad was very passionate about I would call him a real wine enthusiast not a collector okay uh, because he purchased wine to drink it and was very confident in what he liked and what he didn't like mm -hmm. um, but he liked some really nice wines, and so there was a good amount of, you know, first growth Bordeaux that would show up um, on a relatively regular basis. Wow. Um, as well as other wines just from all over California, from Oregon. Um, and that just sort of seemed like a, a natural thing at, to have at the dinner table. I didn't really get interested in wine um, until after college when I was really trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, I have a biology degree and was trying to figure out what to do right at the end of the 90s and during the tech boom, mm -hmm. ended up um, at the end of college with my biology degree, I went and worked for Intel for a little bit. Um, maybe not the natural progression <laughs> for a career, <laughs> but I quickly discovered that sitting in a cubicle crunching numbers was really not something that... Um, really energized or invigorated me. Mm -hmm. um, I learned an enormous amount about Excel and about PowerPoint, Useful. which I still use to this day, <laughs> but I'm glad that is not the focus of what I do. Um, after that, I left to try to get back into, you know, doing something with that biology and all that science that I really loved um, during school and went and worked for a consulting firm uh, that was doing some biotech uh, mm -hmm. consulting, helping companies uh, with drug development pipelines. So mm -hmm. again, I thought it would be more engaging because it dealt more with science, but it was really the same job, just different numbers. Ah. So it was sitting in a cubicle for 10 or 12 hours a day, writing reports for people that for the most part had already made up their mind about what they were gonna do with their business. And so it was a little bit soul sucking to spend all this time and then have someone like go, oh, that's nice, but I don't agree with you. And there goes your report into the trash can. Um, and so really was during that time really trying to figure out what I, what I could do with my life that, that I could be passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, from an early age, I have always liked cooking. 
Um, I think it's my mom pushed me into it because I really, at one point in my life, I really was into um, pork chops, mashed potatoes, and applesauce. And I think <laughs> she got sick of me asking her to make that all the time. So she finally was like, I'm just going to show you how to make this. And then whenever you ask, I can just not have to cook dinner. Uh, and so the sort of interest in cooking was something that I explored and, you know, talked to some chefs and sort of explored what it would be like to get into the restaurant industry hmm. and quickly decided that it didn't leave me enough free time for all the things that I really like to do uh -huh. um, outside of just going to work. Um, I love being in the outdoors. I love, you know, hiking and backpacking and, you know, biking and skiing and, you know, got into rock climbing and in college. And so like, you know, there's just so many things to, so many fun things to do that working six days a week and having mm -hmm. the schedules that chefs do, I decided that I was just going to be a passionate home cook. Nice. <laughs> and Glad you figured out it before you yeah. got into the biz. But through that research, I mean, it gives me an enormous uh, respect for people that do that for a living and what they create on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, through my father, I was you know, I'd started thinking about wine and sort of during that time period, um, he invited me to come uh, to, he had a wine tasting group and it was a group of couples where once a month someone would do uh, a themed tasting and then mm -hmm. after their words they would have dinner and they'd drink the rest of the wines from the tasting uh, with the dinner. Mm -hmm. So it was up to the host to provide the wines and pair a dinner with, um, with the wines. And it was my father's turn to do it and he decided he wanted to try to get a wine um, from every decade, um, and this was in the late 90s, so every decade, the 20th century, and so it was like, okay, he's gonna go back and find all these wines, and um, the earliest wine that he could find was a 1929 Lafitte Rothschild, um, wow. and that wine, he, he invited me to come to the tasting if I would agree to help cook the dinner and do all the cleanup. He's like, but I'll let you taste the wines and that's, that's the fee for joining the group. Now, at that point, I was like, sure, great. I don't have anything else to do on like a Wednesday night. So like, I'll do it. <laughs> so after work, you know, came over, helped them prepare dinner um, and tasted through these wines. And that wine was absolutely stunning. And it wasn't... You know, I didn't really have a trained palate at that point. I didn't really know what I was truly tasting. But what really engaged me with the wine was the amount of life it had, the fact yeah. that there was still fruit there, that it was a really interesting, interesting wine in that there was so much going on and it really tasted delicious. And for something to be that old and have been sitting in a bottle for that long, mm -hmm. I just found truly amazing. And that just really kind of captivated me that, that the way that you could, the, the person that made that wine, the people that were involved in growing their grapes, like just thinking about all those things and all that's captured in this like time capsule that now, you know, we're opening close to 70 years later and that it's still something that you can have a sense of when it was crafted. So that um, was your aha. Moment. It was kind of the aha moment. It was like, mm -hmm. wow, that's kind of cool. I mean, it wasn't me like I had that bottle of wine. I'm like, oh, I want to be a winemaker. Mm -hmm. um, but it got me interested in wine, and I started exploring wine more and thinking about it. Um, and it was sort of that during that time when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I was working at the biotech um, firm, consulting firm. And 
it led me to have a conversation through a friend of my dad's that was part of that group um, with Paul Draper of Ridge Vineyards. And I'm sure Paul doesn't remember the conversation, but um, I just called him up, left a voicemail. Um, uh, and he was like away traveling, you know, for the winery. And I was like, oh, he, this guy's never going to call me back. Like, okay, that was a lost, you know, good try. But, <laughs> but then like two weeks later, he called me back and was like, oh, hi, this is Paul Draper. And you left me a message and, you know, it would now be a good time to talk. And talked to me for 45 minutes about winemaking, about what it was about. Just was very generous with his time and advice to someone that wasn't in the industry, just trying to figure out what they're trying to do with their life. Um, and it really made me think like, wow, if like 50% of the people in the wine industry are this cool, like, I want to be in. I would like, <laughs> I'm, you know, this sounds great because mm -hmm. just the different things, the way he explained it. And it's like, it's still true, true for me today is like, there's such a diversity of different things you get to do and mm -hmm. so many different skills you get to apply. So like I can apply the organic chemistry that I've learned at one point in my, my schooling, I get to apply biology in many different aspects. Um, and there's a certain art to it as well. There's, you know, fixing equipment, there's walking vineyards. There's like, it's just the diversity of, of things that you get to do and the things you get to think about is very engaging and energizing. Mm -hmm. Um, the number of problems you're trying to solve, like all those things, like just, I was like, wow, that sounds like something sounds a, one, a hell of a lot better than what I'm doing. Um, and it, pulls in a lot of different interests I have. You know, I love being in the outdoors, the biology from plant biology through the, you know, yeast biology and micro microorganisms through the chemistry, through, you know, at that point I wasn't even thinking about doing something like this and engaging with people that are also really passionate about wine. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of, that conversation was what pushed me to apply to Davis and go back to back to school to get a master's degree in enology. Wow. So you're describing a lot of analytical attributes in your past career, but there clearly is an artistic, emotional, passional side to you that fed into the idea of being able to apply it and make something tangible and, as you say, delicious out of it. So that's really cool that you have both sides of your brain somehow cohesively operating. Most of us are <laughs> leaning heavily in one direction, put it this way. My wife might argue with the always cohesively <laughs> working together piece of it. But yeah, I mean, I'd say I come at, I come at it from a more analytical standpoint, but mm -hmm. yeah, there is, there is a piece of it that you, you have to just give up trying to analyze it mm -hmm. and just experience. Mm. Um, and I think that's, it's something that I, I, I would say I didn't come to naturally, but something that I sort of, you know, worked on evolving and building uh, because I did come at it from a very scientific place mm -hmm. of wanting to be able to analyze everything and figure out why it is it work. And it's still today, I, I mean, I still think I come at it from more of a in sort of scientific wanting to figure out why, the why mm -hmm. um, than, you know, well, it just is and, you know, yeah. just experience it. Sure. Um, but that's a really important part of it. And like, that's, wine isn't it's not something where people sit down with you know a piece of paper and try to analyze it yeah it's really much more experiential and I think that's one of the things that from growing up that I really realized that wine was something it wasn't something you you opened because you were gonna 
do an analysis of it. Yeah. It was something you opened as part of a meal. It's something you opened to share with friends. It was part of sort of the social fabric of what makes us human. Absolutely. And it was a real piece of that. And I think that's sort of what captured, I think, sort of my imagination about it is that, you know, you, you go through all these, you go through the entire process of making wine from... Mm -hmm the beginning of the growing season all the way through to when you bottle it to years later after it's been aging and just being able to share that that kind of captured vintage the way that I was talking about before it's like it's kind of a time capsule and then you're able to you've you've taken you've taken that year you've put it in a bottle and now it's something you can put on a table and share with other people i think is is something that's really really kind of magical about it and i think it's one of the reasons it captures so many people's imaginations in a way that like you know a soft drink doesn't yes very beautifully said and by the way i love your background it almost feels a bit of a full circle you clearly grew up with parents whose mindset was very european if you will in terms of wine and food being natural companions on the dining table and you've absorbed it you know from the early age as part of the fabric the miniculture in your family and then you went and created this massive, you built out this foundational aspects of science and biology and biochemistry that you can draw from. And then you went into the career that basically takes you back to those emotional aspects. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic how it all worked out. Um, so you got your master's degree and what happened next? Um, so during, during getting the master's, I worked um, a vintage at Iron Horse um, over in Sonoma. Sparkling, huh? Sparkling, but also still Pinot Chard. Um, and then I think they've sold it now, but they um, also had a great Cabernet vineyard up in Alexander Valley. Huh. Um, I think I've had their Cabernet. And yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. Uh, David Monksgard, who was the, the winemaker there at the time, I don't know if he's uh, still there, but mm -hmm. he was a great, he was just a really great mentor in terms of like, you know, like, I had a lot of things rattling around in my head, but like, how do you actually apply those and actually get something done in a winery? <laughs> um, so, um, I believe he was from the, he was ex-Marine and Ooh. he had just the right amount of like, Discipline. kind of drill sergeant <laughs> and mentor. Uh -huh. um, so it was a really great experience that I really, really enjoyed. Very cool. Um, and I did that sort of in between the two sort of halves of the master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, um, I went to Germany for a harvest because I had met some, uh, a winemaker that had come over mm -hmm. from Germany with a group uh, to Davis. Okay. And I basically like, it was a group of winemakers from one, uh, from the Faltz region of Germany. And oh, okay. it was basically like, anybody want an intern? <laughs> <laughs> I got myself into this tasting through Ann Noble um, even though I wasn't one of her sensor students, but I just kept bugging her until she like let me join this tasting um, with this group of German winemakers. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I ended up over there. And that was again a very wonderful experience, like working with varietals that I'd never worked with. Um, I spoke German, but they don't speak German in the faults; they speak a dialect, and so oh. it took me a little while to actually be able to communicate with anyone. <laughs> Uh, luckily, the winemaker and his wife spoke what they call Hochdeutsch or High German, which is like oh, what they okay. learn in school. So, like at least I had someone I could converse with. <laughs> <laughs> but experience has to be had to be really 
eye-opening. Oh, I mean, it was it was really wonderful, and it was, you know, doing so many things in, in a small yeah, winery and exactly. just like in a very different way than yes. um, any other winery I've worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I came back. I worked on my thesis uh, over the holidays after the harvest, and then went to Australia and worked um, in the Yarra Valley in Australia. Mm. Uh, for a harvest and then after that came back and was like really looking for what's my next thing Mm -hmm. Um, finished my thesis up turned that in what was the subject Um, it was uh, basically a proteomic analysis of yeast during a normal fermentation so a lot of the proteomic analysis that had been done up to that point was looking at yeast but looking at it in a two percent sugar solution so not very much alcohol is evolved. And so the way that um, the yeast is going to express proteins is going to be very different in a wine fermentation where it's getting up to 12 or 14 percent um, or in Napa Valley, even higher, uh, is very going to be very different because it's dealing with different stresses. And so the idea was to try to set some baselines as to, like, can we figure out what proteins are going to be differentially expressed? Fascinating. I mean, especially for wine nerds. What a- what a fantastic, did you come up with that subject matter spontaneously or was it something that <clears throat> caught your attention? Um, generally the way it works is you have, you know, as a master student, you're not there for like six years doing a PhD. And mm-hmm. so you're trying to latch on to something that's interesting to you. Uh-huh. That's part of a professor's research area of research. So I Got worked um, in Linda Bassan's lab mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of in conjunction with her of like, oh, here's this chunk of research that we need to do that's part of this larger project. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you take on this piece of it? Got it. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things that I also, I also sort of think about. It was very educational from me understanding that I didn't want to be a research scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and really you know getting a full lab experience and knowing mm-hmm. that i wouldn't want to be in a lab and do a phd um but being given that opportunity to do that as well was was a really it was just a great experience um to sort of be working on the basic research that you know you've been reading papers and all this stuff for years it's like oh wow now i'm actually doing this stuff that's actually maybe going to lead to someone publishing a scientific article so uh, it was fun, but it wasn't, yeah, I'd say it wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't um, anything. It's amazing how much we learn if we actually listen to ourselves from what we don't like. I think it's just as important to know what's not your thing, what doesn't appeal to you. Because you describe a couple of pivotal moments in life, especially early on when you had a secure job and by all accounts, great career. But you recognized and acknowledged that this is not something you want to dedicate your life to. And therefore, things showed up in your life path that you've embraced subsequently. But it's important to give yourself permission to say, it's okay not to like it and act on it. Yeah, like the pizza delivery job that I had during college. <laughs> I decided that being in the, uh, the pizza business is not, not going to be my passion. There you go. Um, Same thing with being a barista. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I absolutely adore coffee, but I just couldn't, you know, I did it for a whole summer and it was like, that's more than enough for me on this particular job. Well, you obviously have an ability to acknowledge, you know, you have, you're connected to yourself, that you have a very good idea of what aligns with you when you, what doesn't, and you pursue things that do, which I think is an important life lesson in a larger sense. So 
We left off when you were in Australia or post-Australian internship in Yarra Valley and then you came to Napa or just um, back to the Bay Area? Well, no, I came, I came back to the Bay Area, but I was looking for a job. Mm -hmm. And one of the people I had worked with, he had gotten, he had been working at Acacia. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, he was a little sort of ahead of me in the wine, in, on his wine journey. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was talking to him, I was like, you know, I'm looking for, looking for an internship. Do you have any ideas? And he's like, well, I need to hire an intern. You want to work for, for me for Harvest? So I um, was hired on at Acacia to mm -hmm. help them for the harvest and being doing Pinot and Chardonnay, they were done very early mm -hmm. and that year. And there was part of, they were part of the Shalon wine group. And so, mm. um, I was done like maybe end of September. I'm like, Oh great. I was thinking I was going to work till at least like end of October. Mm. And they're like, yeah, but there's another position up at moon mountain. They need someone up there, mm -hmm. um, because they're a little short staffed or something, somebody right. had fallen through. And so I went up there. Um, and Moon Mountain and Dynamite were sort of together as a, a brand and they had another facility and it ended up being that they moved me down there and had me running basically the whole crush operation and everything wow. down there. Um, and so that lasted me through, through, you know, after Christmas. And at that point I was like, okay, I got to find a real job. And so the, the winemaker for the Dynamite brand put me in contact with Tom Rinaldi, who was starting uh, Provenance mm. and had an interview with him for an assistant winemaker position that he had open. Cool. Um, and at that point, I still hadn't gotten my official paperwork from Davis, and so they wouldn't hire me as assistant winemaker. So they're like, <laughs> no, you can only be the enologist because you don't have a degree, an official degree. That was the policy of the company ah. at the time. So I started as an enologist um, working for Tom at Provenance, and that was... Um, in 2003 mm -hmm. and so I worked there for you know about 11 years um, sort of work you know learning a huge amount of stuff um, working with Tom is always an adventure um, so I hear <laughs> and you know really really learned an enormous amount of things about uh, about winemaking um, got to work with vineyards all over Napa Valley so that was a real education of mm -hmm. not really having our own a lot of our own vineyards for the Provenance brand. And so really being able to explore and learn about the different parts of Napa Valley, the different terroirs, like how the wines were different, coming off of these different parcels. Um, it was really a, a great education. Sounds like um, As well as working with a vineyard that they purchased a couple of years after I started, um, the Hewitt Vineyard, oh. which had traditionally been going into the George de la Tour wines. Mm -hmm. And as we were slowly pulling back all the grapes from BV, um, Diageo Chateau and Estates, which owned BV, purchased the Shalon Wine Group. Oh, wow. And so uh, it was sort of like, oh, those grapes are disappearing. Oh, let's just buy the whole, <laughs> the, the whole, the whole uh, wine group. Yeah. Um, so that it was actually, from my standpoint, being in winemaking was really positive because mm -hmm. they had much deeper pockets. Sure. Um, They're more willing to invest in capital. And so all of a sudden, all those things you couldn't get in the small company, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you need this. OK, yeah, we can do that. Um, nice. So it was it was also a really great learning experience on the in the business of wine, mm -hmm. um, you know, slowly getting promoted up, you know, from enologist to assistant winemaker to associate winemaker that sort of moving through and then exploring different thing, different parts of the industry um, as you know really kind of taught me a lot um, 
in terms of like the entire, you know, what is the entire business of being a winemaker? Um, because there are, there are pieces to it that aren't just specifically making wine. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, being the person behind directing the crafting of the wine, a lot of times also that's the people that the restaurateur wants to talk to. Yes. That the See? consumer wants to talk to. They really want to hear, they want to hear about the story of the wine from the person that was directing the making of the wine. Of course. Um, or actually making the wine. Um, and I say that very deliberately because, you know, making wine is not, for the most part, an individual pursuit. Mm -hmm. It's a pursuit of a team of people that are working mm -hmm. together. Um, and, you know, having a great team of people really better allows you to achieve your, what you're trying to do with the wines. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, in some cases it is one person doing it all by themselves, but I think that's a very rare case. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.